there is a uh, great clip making its way through social media um, these days that serves as a tie-in between our world today and our text for this morning. The clip begins with uh, an interview of Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House of Representatives. And he says to this reporter, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And he goes on, someone in the media asked me recently, he said, they asked me, people are curious, people want to know, what does Mike Johnson think about any issue under the sun? And then Johnson says to this reporter, that's easy. Go pick up that Bible on your shelf and read it. That will tell you what my worldview is. That is my worldview. Then the clip jumps immediately from that to a scene from the TV show West Wing. Uh, the president in that show, Jed Bartlett, is dealing with someone who has obviously made a similar claim uh, that essentially they just follow what the Bible says. To which Bartlett says, wonderful, wonderful. Um, so perhaps you can help me uh, answer a few questions that I've been struggling with uh, lately dealing with the Bible. Um, First of all, I, I've been thinking of selling my daughter into slavery, my youngest daughter, which is sanctioned by Exodus 21, verse 7. And then he goes on to describe what she's like, and she's always been a good girl and that. What do you think a fair price would be? He said, while you're working on that, my chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath, Exodus 35, 2. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or can I get the police to do that? He has another one, but my, then the one he ends with is I, one I love. He's like, according to Leviticus 11.7, anyone who touches the skin of a dead pig is unclean. If they promised to wear gloves, would it be okay for the Washington NFL team or Notre Dame to go ahead and play? Now, of course, I love this clip because I am a raging liberal snowflake. But more importantly, it brings up a major conundrum for all followers of Christ. We all, in our own ways, want to live life the way that God would have us live. But how do we know what is right? Now, in some ways, it would be wonderful. It would be fantastic if it was all spelled out in detail in the Bible. Like it was some sort of uh, divine Google. You know, you could just put in the specifics of the particular situation we're in, hit search, and then boom, we'd get chapter and verse for our answer. But as that social media clip reveals that's not how it works. There are around uh, one and a half thousand commands in the Bible, but many of them have nothing to do with our lives these days, with the world that we live in here and now. So in addition to that conundrum of trying to understand uh, sometimes what is the right thing to do. We also have the other um, 
difficult aspect of even when we know what the right choice is, we can't always seem to get ourselves to do it. Sometimes we try and then fail. Other times we don't even try. It just seems too daunting. Paul's words to the Christians in Rome provide both them and us a way forward. In short, Paul's words lead us to understand that both the discernment and the power that enable us to live life as followers of Christ Jesus come from the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Paul knows very well that the struggle to both know and do the right thing is one that takes place within each of us. Paul has written as much in part, the part of the letter that uh, leads into our text for this morning. In chapter 7, um, he has written, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, a servant to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave or a servant to the law of sin. This is the battle that goes on within each of us. So here and in our uh, text for this morning, Paul uses various language to describe these two opposing forces at work in our lives. On the one hand, as human beings, uh, we have been born into the realm of sin and death. And sometimes Paul refers to this as the law of sin and death, or sometimes sinful nature. Uh, most of the time when we hear sinful nature, it is literally uh, means sinful flesh, is the way uh, Paul writes it. William Barclay, though, helps us understand what Paul is after with all this. He writes, It is to be carefully noted that when Paul thinks of the kind of life dominated by the flesh... He is not by any means thinking exclusively of sexual and bodily sins. He's not thinking altogether of what we call um, fleshly sins. When Paul gives a list of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, he includes the bodily and sexual sins. But he also includes idolatry, hatred, wrath, strife, heresies, envy, murder, murder. The flesh, to Paul, in this context, was not a physical thing, it was a spiritual thing. And that is all contrasted with the realm of God. Sometimes Paul refers to this as the law of the spirit of life, sometimes God's law, sometimes the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, or simply the spirit. For Paul, these two realms, these two forces and powers exist within each of us. I think most of us, 
for truthful are probably painfully aware that there is within us a mindset and a will that is well summed up with the word, uh, the designation sinful. But what Paul wants us to know as well is that we also have within us a mindset and a will that is even more powerful for the good, and that is the Holy Spirit. Further, Paul wants us to know that from God's point of view, the battle is over. It's done. And God's Spirit has won. And God's Spirit reigns within us. So listen again to a few of the verses from Paul again. But this time, hear the forcefulness of, of Paul's proclamations, understanding that Paul is describing you. Paul is describing us and what, what he's saying about us. So he begins, therefore, this is, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending their own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so condemned sin in sinful flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Later, he says, those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, and this is why I emphasized this in the first reading, you, however, are controlled not by the spirit, the sinful nature, but by the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. The spirit of God lives in you. And then again later, as he closes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption. And by it, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is the fulfillment of that wonderful, amazing, gracious promise that we heard in Ezekiel, or yes, Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and a new, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, and notice what the spirit does, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will be your God and you will be my people. And this is why... 
living the life God wants for us is not a matter of trying to obey God's written commandments. That gets things wrong way around. That's trying to get at the life God wants us wants for us from the outside in. As F.F. Bruce, um, British theologian, so wisely observes, a vine does not produce grapes by act of parliament. Both the discernment and the power that enable us to live as followers of Christ come from the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And that is what F.F. Bruce acknowledges in the rest of that quote. I love this. He says, uh, a vine does not produce grapes by act of parliament. They are the fruit of the vine's own life. So the conduct which conforms to the standard of the kingdom, of God's kingdom, is not produced by any demand, not even God's. But it is the fruit of that divine nature which God gives as the result of what he has done in and by Christ. For us as Christians, excuse as Christians, that source of life is revealed by Jesus in our gospel passage. I am the vine. You are the branches. Dwell in me, abide in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he goes on these ways. And, and, and again, all of this, I love is because of God's love for us. He closes with that, or I end the, the quote there. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, abide in my love. Live in my love because my love lives in you. The good news in all of this is that, like I was saying in the shorter version of this, Christ is always with us. His spirit dwells within us. So our part in living life is to abide in that presence, whether it's through prayer or reading or worship, to abide in that presence and to attend to the spirit's prompts, the spirit's leadings and our inclinations given by the Spirit, and allow ourselves then to be empowered by the Spirit. Fleming, Rut Fleming Rutledge, who is a, an Episcopalian priest and theologian, in preaching on the same passage, she drew some great quotes um, and illustrations for all this from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Um, here's one from later part of the story. All hope left Frodo, and suddenly he felt the eye. There was an eye in the dark tower that did not sleep. He knew that it had become aware of his gaze. A fierce, eager will was there. It leaped towards him. Frodo heard himself saying two things at once. 
He heard himself crying out, never, never. Or was it, verily I come, I come to you. He couldn't tell. Then, as a flash from some other point of power, there came to his mind another thought. Take it off, fool, take it off, take off the ring. The two powers strove in him. He writhed, tormented, and suddenly he was aware of himself again. Frodo rose to his feet. A great weariness was on him, but his will was firm and his heart lighter. He spoke aloud to himself, I will do what I must, he said. That is a powerful illustration of someone attending to the spirit of life within them and then letting that spirit empower them to do what is right. And notice how the struggle, though, took place within. Both were at work. And there are, there's more than one voice at work in us often. But one of those voices is the Spirit of God. Now, our choices in life may never be as dramatic as Frodo's, but every day of our lives, in thousands of smaller ways, the forces at work are the same. We not only wrestle with understanding what is the right thing to do or what is the better thing to do or even what is the least worst thing to do, but we also then struggle to, to find the strength to do those things even when we know what the right choice is. So Paul is encouraging us. God is encouraging us through Paul's words in this letter. Both the discernment and the strength that enable us to live as followers of Christ Jesus come from the Holy Spirit. And the great news is that Spirit dwells within us. Thanks be to God.